either one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, John the Baptist's question in chapter 11, verse 3, uh, I think it sets the scene for the whole of the chapter. Uh, is Jesus the one, in other words, is he the only one hope and saviour of the world? Or are we mistaken, and therefore shall we look for an alternative? The question is no more urgent for us to answer today than it was for John in the first century because we live in a world of alternative Gospels. We live in a world of alternative sexuality where the traditional Judeo-Christian category of male and female is replaced with the alternative categories of LGBTQ in many quarters. We are told that there is no givenness or objectivity to human sexuality, but simply an endless array of possibilities that one can choose for oneself. Uh, underlying the alternative sexuality is the alternative gospel, with an alternative understanding of creator's design for creation. But we also live in a world of alternative time and history, where the traditional division of history into BC, before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, Year of the Lord, is rejected in favor of B.C.E., before the Common Era, although no one agrees what constitutes a Common Era, and Common Era. Underlying the alternative calendar is the rejection of Jesus as the Christ, and rejection of Jesus as the one who gives meaning and makes sense of human history. And of course, we live in a world of alternative religions. The alternative Christ of Muhammad, the alternative hope, hope of Buddhist karma, the alternative saving power of education, technology, and medicine of secular humanism. So, is Jesus the one? Or shall we look for another? Well, Jesus answers in unmistakable terms in today's passage that there is no alternative saviour or hope for the world. Look at verse 27. All things, every single thing, not simply in matters of religion and ethics, but all things, time, space, history, and the world to come, and he'll later go on to say in chapter 28, all authority in heaven and on earth have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Uh, Jesus claims that there is no alternative, and the works of Christ, that's, that's a very important phrase in this chapter, repeated in verse 2, deeds of Christ, verse 19, the deeds, verse 20 and 21 in today's passage, well, that bears witness to who he is. Jesus' works vindicates himself. Look over Matthew's Gospel, read it again, it shows for who he is. Uh, well, we're going to look at today's passage in three sections. First, Jesus died a warning to those who seek alternative to Christ in verses 20 to 24. That's the first part. And the end of all who seek alternative, that is, woe and judgment. Then the middle section, verses 20 to 20, uh, 25 to 26, explains why, if Christ is the only one, if there is no alternative, why is it that so many people reject him? We're going to look at that. And finally, in verses 27 to 30, we hear the Savior's invitation to all of us to stop seeking alternative hope. Stop, stop thinking that there is alternative Savior. There is only one, Jesus, who brings the true rest to come to him. 
Okay, so we're going to look at, at that in three sections. So let's look at the first section together, Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 to 24. Uh, then Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done, you, done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. What is the worst sin? Uh, if you are to rank sin... Uh, uh, what, what is the worst sin? What would the top your list? Rejecting God. Thank you. Everybody ranks sins differently, but most likely murder, adultery, lying, stealing would top most people's list. Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom uh, top the list in the Old Testament for being the worst cities and the most sinful cities filled with the kind of things that will come to our mind. Sexual immorality, murder, greed, pride. Uh, Tyre and Sidon uh, were renowned for wealth and beauty, but correspondingly their prideful boast, wicked treatment of the poor, and idol worship. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel denounces the city uh, in Ezekiel chapter 27, and for that, subsequently destroyed them in judgment. Uh, Sodom is like a code name for the worst city in the Old Testament. Abraham, remember, he, he, he pleads with God to save Sodom because his nephew Lot lives there. And he says, first, oh, if God, would you destroy the city? There are 50 righteous men in there. God said, if you can find 50 righteous men, I'll spare the city. And you know, Abraham goes, oh, okay, I think I've overestimated a little bit. Well, what about 40? And God said, yeah, go, go find 40. Well, what about 30? No, no, yeah, okay, go find 30. 20, maybe 10? He couldn't find 10 righteous men. It was that kind of a city. Uh, the word sodomy derived after the name of this city and its sexual immorality. And the subsequent destruction of Sodom became an archetype of God's judgment of the wicked. And the wickedness of Sodom became an archetype of human wickedness. Yet Jesus says, judgment on Chorazin and Bethsaida and Jesus' hometown, Capernaum, will be worse than these cities. Why? What worse crime could Capernaum have committed than the sodomy of Sodom and the greedy and proud boasting of Tyre and Sidon? Well, it is being indifferent to Jesus and his works. Despite the Messiah walking and living among them, teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, the Galileans were indifferent to Jesus. Despite witnessing the blind receiving sight, the leper being cleansed, the lame walk, deaf hear, even the dead are being raised up, they ignore the works and the deeds of the Messiah. Now, people of Galilee were guilty of what theologian Stanley Halvas called perverse normality. See? Uh, like most average people, like you and I, uh, they were not guilty of any notorious crime of anything particularly offensive or inhumane here. There's no hint of genocide, ethnic cleansing, or the sodomy of the sodomites. However, we see a very familiar apathy 
and indifference to Jesus. And Jesus calls that worse than what the Sodom and Tyre and Sidon did. Uh, Jesus' logic is this. Greater the revelation, greater the responsibility. Uh, Without excusing the sins of Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, because they were judged and Jesus doesn't excuse them, Sodom never had Jesus come proclaiming the kingdom of heaven to them in flesh. Tyre and Sidon never had the Messiah coming to heal the sick and raising the dead. Capernaum did. Bethsaida did. Yet they ignored Jesus, and their response was, as we've seen last week, like children who look for every excuse so as not to listen. Nothing satisfied these people. Remember verse 18 and 19? John the Baptist comes neither eating nor drinking because his message is serious. Judgment of God is coming. It's not a time to be eat, drink, and be merry. And they say, oh, religious fanatic. Come on, you killjoy. We don't want that kind of stuff here. Jesus comes eating and drinking, inviting sinners to come to himself. And they say, oh, what a hypocrite. What kind of religious leader eats and drinks with sinners? You know, people who say, our church has too many sinners, so I don't want to go to church. Exactly like that. Jesus' teaching of greater the revelation, the greater responsibility presents a solemn warning for people living today. Because we have received even more than the people of Capernaum. Greater things have been done than Jesus did by his apostles and his church in the last 2,000 years. Remember, in John's Gospel, Jesus says, greater works than these you will do in my name. And indeed, God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, have witnessed, testified with his works throughout the centuries. All of Jesus' works, his life, teaching, death and resurrection and ascension have been recorded for us in the scriptures to see. Each week, In all corners of the earth, as his church gathers, the works of the Messiah is proclaimed. Yet, people respond with apathy and indifference. Well, if Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum were worse off in the day of judgment than Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, what will it be like for the city of Sydney in the day of judgment if we ignored him? I wonder whether Jesus would have something like this. Woe to you, you Sydney-siders, if the hundreds of Bible-teaching churches that you have, along with your university campus ministries, the crusaders, the youth works, the cathedral in the city center proclaiming the gospel week in and week out, no more than that, you've got city Bible forum, meeting the Bible study so that you can get to know and hear about the gospel in your workplace, with all your technology where you can access and hear about the gospel and read the Bible, if what you have were in Tokyo, Amsterdam, Las Vegas, they, they would have repented long ago. I tell you, it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the godless city of Tokyo than Sydney. And woe to you, you nominal Christian who comes along to St. Andrew's Strathfield Church every week, but remain indifferent and apathetic to Jesus. Woe to you who have grown up inside the church receiving kids' church lessons, going along to youth group Bible studies, patiently cared and counseled by faithful leaders year in and year out, yet remain indifferent to Jesus, living for alternative gods and hopes during the week. Woe to you. 
if the privileges and blessings you had were given to Al-Qaeda, ISIS, they would have repented long ago. I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Al-Qaeda than for you. The greater the revelation, the greater the responsibility. To whom much is given, much will be required. And Jesus makes it absolutely clear that there is no alternative savior of the world. The works of Jesus vindicates itself. Go and read Matthew's gospel again. His truth and his goodness in the Sermon on the Mount. His healing and forgiveness in Matthew chapter 8. His power over the sea, Satan and death in Matthew chapter 9. Even after seeing all his works, if you continue to ignore Jesus, remain indifferent to Jesus, look for alternative hope and savior of the world, Jesus says, your end is woe and judgment. Now, a question arises at this point. If Jesus is the one, the only hope and savior of the world, then why is it that so many people reject him and so few acknowledge him? Jesus answers in one of the most profound prayer to God the Father in the New Testament. Look with me from verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Uh, It's an odd response from Jesus at this point, isn't it? People rejecting him, and he suddenly goes, I thank you, Father. Jesus acknowledges God the Father as the Lord of heaven and earth. Uh, In other words, God is the one who is in control of all things, including granting people of the knowledge of his Son. Here is where Christianity is different from the other religions. Unlike other religions where knowledge of God is acquired through one's own efforts, rituals, or meditations, knowledge of God is always gift from God, the Lord of heaven and earth. We are like blind men. If God would not restore our sight, we will never see. So if you have come to see Jesus as the one, uh, the Savior and hope of the world, It is because the Father has shown it to you. It is always by God's grace that we come to see truth. And in God's wisdom, God hides the knowledge of Jesus from the wise and understanding. Uh, Jesus is using wise and understanding with some irony because a truly wise response to Jesus would be to submit to his powerful and merciful authority. But Jesus means those who consider themselves self-sufficient, those who consider themselves wise in their own eyes, the learned, the powerful, and the successful of the world, and those who know that they are smart, those who know that they are powerful, beautiful, successful, and find sufficiency in their own abilities and status. To such people, God will not reveal the secret of kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God And the knowledge of Jesus will be given only as a gift to those who come empty-handed, not trusting in their own merits, but in God's goodness. God reveals himself to those who come with humility. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mourning over their sin, recognizing that they are weak and they are nothing without God, the Lord of heaven and earth. 
crying out to God like the blind man, Have mercy on me, O Lord. To those little children, God grants the knowledge of his son. Jesus understands that's how God works. That's the sovereign and gracious will of God, and he thanks God for it, despite the rejection he receives. Now, I don't know about you, but I found this quite hard to uh, respond with submission and joy this week as I was preparing for this passage. You know, when I converse with my non-Christian friends, and sometimes I feel sick to the stomach hearing them talking and acting like they've figured it out, you know? I hate it when they imply how incompetent and ignorant I am, I must be, to believe in something like God and Jesus. I wonder whether you find that or have had experiences like that. You know, when that happens, when those arrogant men who are just so full of themselves, I wish God would vindicate himself, you know, God would just let, show himself to them so that they will understand just, just how not smart they are, just how tiny their brain is, and just how not powerful they are, that with little virus and a cold can get them, you know, lying in bed and not being able to do anything. I, just, I want God to just show himself to proud and successful and powerful men of the world. All the Conor McGregor's of the world and Donald Trump's of the world, I wish God would show them in the moment just how insufficient they are. But then when I looked deep down in my heart, I know that it is not primarily because I want God's name to be hallowed, but it's because, my, because I want my name to be vindicated. I don't enjoy being rejected. I don't, I don't like being ignored or treated as stupid. Then I think, how much more humiliating it would have been for Jesus to receive such a response. The Son of God, who had the glories of the heavenly realm, but did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, humbled himself, come to earth, saving, being merciful, forgiving, and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, inviting sinners to himself, and being rejected and treated like a madman. How much more humiliating it would have been for him, and, and rightly so. Yet, in such moment, he thanks God and he submits to God's will. What a magnificent Lord and Savior. And because of him and his obedience, he is rejected. He goes to the cross, and because of that, I find salvation. Weak, insufficient, proud men like myself find salvation because Jesus thanks God in such moment of indifference to him. How good and how great is our God. Let us learn to thank God and submit to God's wisdom like our Lord Jesus did. Now, before we move on to the next verse, let me ask you a question to those who have not yet grasped that Jesus is the one, the only hope and savior of the world for you. Is that because you're too proud for the Lord of heaven and earth to reveal to you the truth of Jesus? Would that may be the case? Is that because you just cannot humbly confess your unworthiness, your emptiness and helplessness before God? Is that because you, you just don't acknowledge that you're not good enough for God and that you need his forgiveness? 
acknowledge that you know you are fearful before the shadow of death and you need God to rescue you that with all the pretensions of power and sufficiency that's not who you are that's not what you are made out of it may be because your education wealth power position talent earthly security has so blinded you to your need for God and puffed you up made you like a proud peacock with your feathers spread too wide for you to walk through the narrow gates of the kingdom of heaven would that may be the case if you haven't seen the truth God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and it's difficult for us because all of our lives we are always asked well, what do you want to be when you grow up you know as if life is about becoming an adult when you grow up have sufficiency and independency we long for independency and self-sufficiency but when it comes to knowing God we must remain being little children dependent and humble before him every morning and every night you see if you have grown up too much for God you must be born again uh, having explained why many people seek alternatives in verses 24 to 26 uh, Jesus makes the most sweeping statement in verse 27 so it's a it's a really a sweeping statement if you think about it and analyze it all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him uh, Douglas O'Donnell points out that Jesus makes at least four claims in verse 27 in, in that short verse it said at least four sweeping claims there first he has authority over all things he'll make this more explicit as we said uh, all the way in chapter 28 verse 18 but nothing escapes Jesus authority second he alone as God's son knows the father truly the Lord of heaven and earth is to Jesus my father a third no one can know God except through knowing Jesus and fourth no one can know God unless Jesus chooses to reveal him aren't they the most sweeping statement one can make about oneself and these claims are offensive in our world of alternative gospels uh, in one verse Jesus manages to attack all the other alternative gospels of our world Jesus claims he has all authority and that he from God and like God has lordship over heaven and earth that is a bit too much isn't it claiming to be a creator not a carpenter then there's Jesus claim that he is the son of God well that claim is considered considered blasphemous by Muslims how can God have a son they say and it is considered irrelevant to Buddhists and atheists because the existence of God let alone son of God is unnecessary for living a moral and meaningful life then there is his claim that knowledge of God comes only through knowledge of him that notion certainly attacks the multifaceted belief system of Hinduism and leaves the postmodern pluralist and spiritualist speechless for it undermines the agnostic notion that we cannot know the truth or at least truth can only be subjective my truth or your truth my spirituality then Jesus even claims that we cannot know God unless he chooses to reveal God to us that is as politically incorrect as you can be to the secularist of our day don't I determine my own destiny it's my life I choose the destiny of my life Jesus says no I choose your destiny 
Jesus' claims are the most offensive and arrogant claims one could ever make about oneself, unless they are true. And if it is true, it cannot be, we cannot be indifferent or apathetic about it because it demands a response. If it is true, and I believe it is true, as testified by Jesus' words and works we have seen in Matthew's Gospel, the only right course of action is to respond to his gracious invitation. Look at verse 28. With that authority, with that claim, what he goes on to do to all people, uh, all the people who are listening in. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in my heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. Uh, apparently, his sovereign choosing does not contradict human responsibility. Uh, the Bible does not see human, God's sovereignty and human responsibility as contradiction or oppose. They belong together. The way Jesus chooses, the way Jesus reveals, is by invitation. Come to me. And as you come, if you come, he will reveal himself to you. Come to me. Where an Old Testament Jew would have expected to say, come to God, Jesus replaces God with himself. Come to me. Remember, all things have been handed over to Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. No one comes to the Father except through him. So come to me, he says, all who labor and are heavy laden. There is no alternative. Don't seek alternative hope or salvation. Come to me. Everything has been handed over to me. And what does he offer? I will give you rest. Rest brings to mind the Sabbath rest. The perfect creation first men and women enjoyed in God's perfect garden. And the Sabbath rest God gave to the Israelites when he rescued them from Pharaoh's heavy burden to the land of land flowing with milk and honey. I will give you rest. I am the one you have been waiting for. I am the one and only hope and savior of the world who brings God's final and eternal rest by, bring, by bringing you into right relationship with God. As the first man and woman enjoyed back in the garden, God's people in God's place under God's righteous rule and protection and sovereign care. Have you ever been in a wrong relationship? Don't answer, just in case they are here. Uh, it's the least restful state of being. But a right relationship brings rest. And Jesus claims that the ultimate rest, the longing of you and my heart, Longing of every human heart comes only through being in a right relationship with him and therefore with God the Father. But notice again, those who find themselves sufficient with their intelligence, power, and success, well, they'll not come to Jesus. Those who find life at ease, the world at their feet, accomplishing achievement after achievements, victory after victory, well, they won't come to Jesus. Life is, life is easy. Life is good. Uh, but rather, Jesus invites those who labor and are heavy laden. 
you know, those who have come to see just how far they have fallen short of what God intended them to be. You know, people who, who just recognize, who are poor in spirit once again, and recognize just how far you have fallen short of what God intended you to be, and just helplessly come before God and say, I need your help. Those, Jesus invites, him, uh, invites to himself. Come to me. I'll give you rest. It's not about you doing it. Receive grace from me. Uh, those who are humble before the power of death, recognizing that they are no match for death, and only God can give refuge. Or only in God there is hope of resurrection of the bodies and life everlasting. It's to those people God says, come to me. And those, everyone who find living in this fallen creation with their own power just too hard, too scary, too exhausting. It's those people Jesus invites. If that is you, well, Jesus is inviting you today. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth invite you who are tired, who are scared, who are exhausted, living in mortal body, in fallen creation, under the shadow of death, attacked by the evil forces of the world, Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn what? That Jesus is gentle and lowly in his heart. Learn that Jesus gently receives and forgives all who come to him in need. Jesus will never turn you back if you come to him. Jesus will never turn away humble, repentant sinner away from the Father. Yes, he's gentle. He's lowly in heart. Don't worry about rejection. He will receive you. Learn that everyone who comes to Jesus' unparalleled authority and power will find Savior for their souls. He will not lose any of his sheep. He has prepared a place for you. Jesus, the one with gentle and humble heart, will take him to the cross. His own gentle and humility will take him to the cross and the empty tomb afterwards. And for that, he can assure rest for your souls, both now and forever. Now, one interesting detail of verse 29 is the imagery of yoke, because yoke is what you use for work. And it does not seem to fit very well with our idea of rest. So apparently, according to Jesus, rest does not mean inactivity. Yoke is an Old Testament image for Mosaic law, and it's an imagery of submitting to someone's authority. It's a yoke. Yoke that a teacher put it upon his disciples so that they follow the teacher's ways. The Pharisees made a heavy yoke upon people with their legalistic demands. Jesus says he also has a yoke his own demands and teachings, which we have seen throughout Matthew's gospel and we'll see in the rest of the gospel, such as, if you follow him, you'll be homeless. You may be rejected by your family, taking up the cross. And at first sight, that does not seem very light or easy, does it? Well, Jesus says, life could get uncomfortable by giving you rest, I don't mean I'm promising to make your life easy or comfortable. That's true. But I'm promising you the inner, perfect, 
and lasting rest that only comes from having a right relationship with God the Father. The sweet knowledge of forgiveness of sins. Putting your head on your, uh, going down at, uh, going down to sleep at night, knowing that your sins are forgiven, even as your body decay, and you know the certain coming of death, you know that you're right with God, that you will be resting in God forever. The satisfaction of being under the care of God the Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, whatever situation may be. Knowing that he is your father, even if your family rejects you for submitting to Jesus. Knowing that he cares for you and knows how many hairs you have on your head. The real rest comes from obeying Jesus, as he says. He says, as you say no to sin and self-centeredness, and yes to seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the renewal of your heart and mind as you are conformed to the likeness of Jesus, that's what true rest is. You will start to understand that, experience that, and you will receive that fully when the Lord of heaven and earth comes back in glory. I think it is the kind of rest the Apostle Paul had in mind when he said in 2 Corinthians 4.16, somewhat paradoxically, this is what he says. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. That doesn't sound like rest. But he says, he goes on, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's almost like he's saying, our inner self is being rested day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal Jesus is the one the only hope and savior of the world who brings rest every one of us long for the rest comes only by being in right relationship with God the Father through the Son there is no other way to receive this rest, no other way to be made right with God, the Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, apart from Jesus. Uh, in conclusion, I want to read out this old hymn to you as a way of invitation to come to Jesus. And listen to these words, and you'll be thankful to know that I won't sing it, but I'll just read out these words. Uh, I believe the hymn was written uh, with these verses in mind. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often fulfill, or oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are you weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise you, forsake you? 
take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he will take and shield you. You will find a solace there. Indeed, come to him and find rest in him. Amen.